Hello everyone. Welcome to the 21st Century Feminist Podcast with Hannah St. George. This is my podcast where I talk about intersectional feminism, a feminism we can all be a part of. In this episode, I'll be interviewing Love and Power's founders, Martha and Charlotte, on their campaign, Empowered Campus. This is a trigger warning, as this episode includes the topics of sexual harassment, sexual assault and rape. The campaign Empowered Campus enables universities, students and survivors to prevent and respond to sexual harassment and sexual assault at university. If you find any of these topics triggering, this episode may not be for you. Please also consider anyone around you that could hear this, as you may not be aware if these topics could affect them. Martha and Charlotte, I'm so thankful to have you here to talk about your campaign, Empowered Campus, and what it's doing for uni students. How does this campaign prevent and respond to sexual violence at university? In order to answer it properly, I think it's helpful to have an analysis of the state of play at the moment. The way the guidance was given by the university was very, make a policy, make a reporting structure. So that's now why we're in the situation where there's no specialist person at most campuses and the response is very tick box. And what we know from tick box responses when it comes to survivors and sexual abuse and sexual harassment and assault is that you end up with pockets of work across a campus that isn't joined up. That just creates gaps. And those are the gaps that survivors slip through and also the gaps in which perpetrators operate in. When we have conversations with universities, we treat it holistically. We build structures that pull the whole university together to eliminate as many of those gaps as possible. We're also intersectional. We're trauma-informed. We work on a model of understanding trauma and how it affects the brain. It's unrealistic to expect people who've gone through serious trauma, having their consent completely disregarded, have someone invade their body autonomy to just pick up the phone and tell someone what's happened with no knowledge of where that story's going, how many times they're going to have to tell that story, what's going to happen to the perpetrator, what's going to happen to my social group. We understand that maybe they're not working in their rational brain capacity, but they're working in a survival brain capacity and we engage with that effectively. We centre the survivor in everything we do. They're making informed choices about what they want and we help facilitate that. A key part of our work is taking them on a healing journey whilst also holding the university to account and making sure the university is well enough equipped to be able to do that. I love how it's centred around the survivor and that your approach to these issues and training regarding them is trauma-informed. That's so, so important. How does your campaign support both survivors and universities in that process? We go into a university and do an audit. One half of our commitment to survivors is saying, what are the cases you've had today? Where have people been let down? And then we engage the survivors that are in a place that it's helpful to them. It's not right for everybody, but some people it's right for, to say, what would you like to have changed? But also, I've worked in this for seven years and I've seen so much goodwill from universities and so many amazing people in universities wanting to do a good job but just not knowing how to do it this is specialist work that needs to be handled with such care we really try and fulfill that role for universities of being that specialist person to hold their hand and also be a critical friend in order to raise the bar so that survivors and students coming in and unfortunately future survivors have a better experience of what they can expect from universities so you have a specialist team working with unis that assess current processes in place to protect students and then you create policies and procedures to fill any gaps that are found. As you're building a national network, are there any gaps in current procedures that commonly crop up or is it different for every uni? It's really wide and varied. The main things I would say is people don't have a standalone policy and if they do, it's often discipline focused. It's how can we almost act as a court, even though we're a university, to say you're innocent, you're guilty. That is not always helpful and often not what survivors want. Sometimes it is and that's completely legit and fair. But if we go down a discipline, 
discipline focused model, we often lose sight of what survivors actually want. This is about a healing journey, not a punitive journey. The other thing we see a lot of is a lack of training and understanding. University staff are often put in impossible situations where they're expected to deal with cases that the criminal justice system get wrong more often than they don't. We're expecting a lot from university staff who don't have appropriate training and that's no shade on them. I definitely don't have a viewpoint that survivors can't take being involved in these processes. Lots of people may be in a place where this is not helpful for them but we can't make blanket assumptions that they can't be part of this process and it's so healing to be able to go through something like that and then be involved in a process that makes it better. So I would really like to see more survivors themselves being engaged in processes that make this better. And it shows consulting the people that are directly affected that it's going to be better. You mentioned intersectionality earlier. I read Empowered Campus's report on student experiences but found that students with disabilities are almost 12% more likely to experience sexual harassment and lesbian, gay and bisexual students are over 15% more likely. I'm actually bisexual myself so that statistic really stuck with me. Black and minority ethnic students are twice as likely to be sexually assaulted in a classroom, lecture room, lab or theatre compared to their white peers. So in responding to university sexual harassment, how do you take intersectionality into account? The first is that we start to measure it and we look for it. We don't assume there is one experience of being a survivor of sexual harassment or abuse or assault on campus. And then we think about what is the different support that you might need if you are going to be targeted in different ways. And so thinking about what systems allow people to speak honestly and safely and to really map where the problem is and therefore what the solution should be and where the support can be. Obviously, different people have different experiences depending on their identity. But having the data to be able to back it up, we have to have a level of analysis in order to recognise that. We have to bake it into our response plans. Lots of these statistics are hard. But the wonderful opportunity that universities have is this is not wider society. This is a microcosm of people. This is a mini society in which you get to do amazing things. There's so much freedom to be able to create systems that could really inform the way that wider society should be doing it and what that conversation could look like. What an amazing opportunity. The Empower Campus campaign, although it looks like a university campaign, it's so much more than that. Amazing. What are some everyday ways that rape culture can be perpetuated and how can this affect survivors? It's such a good question, Hannah. Even in my own experience, I find it really difficult to name rape culture because it's everywhere. But something that helped when I trained the officers in Nottingham about misogyny and hate crime, I talked to lots and lots of different women because I thought it was really important to explain to the officers that in recognising that misogyny and hate crime was going on, that we were also recognising that women were living in a rape culture. So I had lots of conversations with these women about safety mechanisms that they use to make themselves feel safer, even though it's often not in their gift. And the officers were really shocked, particularly the male officers with some of the things having keys between your knuckles or walking in the middle of the street so you can't get dragged off and at least you can see a car coming, taking joggers to a night out so you can change into joggers on the walk home, making very difficult decisions about how you get home. Do you take a taxi on your own because that isn't safe sometimes? Do you get the bus home because that could not be safe? Do you walk home because that could not be safe? And if they can tell themselves that if they hadn't done X, if they hadn't done Y, they wouldn't have been put in that position where this terrible thing happened to them. And that's not true. I have full respect for those feelings, but that 
can be the real difficult thing with survivors then having to go and, and live in a rape culture is because often those things can become internalised and turn into real heavy shame and guilt. We are not very good as a society at unpicking that and holding that for them so that they don't have to hold it for themselves. I just want to remark on all three of us have been at university in different decades and just how frustrating it is to think that over three different decades this problem has not been fixed. In future, what do you want to see happen regarding this issue? Students to rise up and inherit the world. (laughs) 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 No, I really, I want this to be student-led, survivor-led. I would really love to see Empowered Campus be able to upskill and give people the resources to be able to hold these systems accountable and demand change and have a different expectation. You know, I, I always think about my open day at my university with my dad and it was just the best day because I felt like I was at home. It was so clear that that was my uni. It was just, it felt right. And unfortunately, that didn't remain. You know, I, I was raped in, within my first year of university and that feeling didn't remain. And all the promises that the university had made to me on my open day Where were they? Where was the support? It's something about redefining the relationship between survivors and universities, I think, would be the dream for me. Thanks so much for sharing that with me. It's really important that we have these stories of people going through these things that often the story is that it breaks you and you're less capable afterwards. And that is just not the experience of many, many people. Thanks just for trusting me enough with that. I'm glad you feel comfortable in talking about it and that you're in a place where you can talk about it as well. Yeah, for sure. If someone listening wants to support Empowered Campus, how can they do this? They can sign up on our website. We have a sign up form and we would love to help people bring us on campus person that understand what their university's work in the past has been and how to make that better amazing thanks so much thank you so much for listening please show your support and stay updated on this podcast by subscribing and following us on instagram at 21st century feminist podcast